1 Peter 5, verse 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. How do you like that? Suffered a while. It is important that they that minister the cross of Christ to the lost minister the full gospel and not just the apparently sweet stuff. Of Christ, Hebrews 2, 9, and 10 records, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Jesus Christ was perfected through sufferings. His perfection was completed on the cross. Luke describes it in Luke 40, uh, 23, excuse me, verse 46. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Psalms 34:19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Afflictions correct our paths and bring us into a place of compliance and peace. Psalms 119.67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Psalms 119.71, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Psalms 119.75, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. Afflictions, troubles, sufferings, and chastening are tools used by God to bring his children into perfect harmony. Hebrews 12, verse 11, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. It is true all things are possible to them that believe, and that God answers our prayers of faith. But be advised, Satan will challenge every one of them. He must. It is true that Romans 8.28 is a real and glorious promise, but be advised, good does not always look good. Romans 8, verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, according to his purpose. A baker preparing a cake will gather all the necessary ingredients, the flour, eggs, milk, oil, honey, baking power, and what have you, and mix them into a batter, putting the cake in the oven to bake. Out should come a culinary delight. But if you ate a teaspoon of baking powder alone, it would not be a very pleasant experience. However, mixed with the other ingredients, the baker can charge $7 a slice. All things work together for our good, but it doesn't always look good when viewed alone. However, be assured it is good. Suffering, afflictions, troubles, and chastening are all important and needed ingredients in the recipe of godly perfection. The journey of the born again, the children born a second time, this time of the Spirit of God, is designed and directed by the Father. It is a beautiful, purifying journey, especially the ugly places. Have you been born again? Have you repented of your sins and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory?
do it today, and you will begin a brand new life with a new name and a new father, a new purpose, and new power to live a holy life and a new and everlasting destiny. Today, all your sin and shame will be expunged and all of Satan's bondages will be broken, and I mean all of them. Today, you will become brand new. Take a moment and follow me in this simple prompt. Here we go. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Click right now. Now for today's subject. God said, Job 38, verse 36, Who hath put wisdom in the inward parts, or who hath given understanding to the heart? God said, Genesis 1, verse 1, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. God said, Matthew 24, 37 through 39, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Man said, I think the story of Noah and his boat is just that, a story, a myth. The Bible is full of such things. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 960, that will once again certify the full inerrancy of God's holy Bible. All of these extraordinary features are archived here in text and streaming audio for the edification of the childlike and as bait for the fishers of men. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for coming. Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied unto you. This is feature 40 in the God Said, Man Said, Jot and Tittle series, where in rapid fashion we present one God proof after another. All reasonable doubt has been vanquished. Prepare for God proofs 290 to 295. God proof 290, Revelation 13, 16 through 18. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is... Six hundred, threescore, and six. When this passage was penned, there were no checking accounts, direct deposit transactions, electronic transfers, charge cards, debit cards, computerized banking, scanning systems, and more. In the above passage, the Word of God prophesies of a new system of commerce to which the whole world will be forced to comply. This new system of commerce appears to be the perfect moneyless society where consumers no longer deal in hard cash. All financial transactions are conducted electronically under a consumer account number. This would be a marvelous idea if it wasn't for those who would take control of it. Such an electronic banking system would greatly reduce the cost of banking, personal theft, bad checks, bad credit, and more, even bankruptcy. This would in turn reduce the cost of goods, improve the world's standard of living, and enhance personal safety. A great idea. With today's technology, this cardless system could easily be accomplished. 
It could eliminate the carrying of personal identification cards by simply embedding a code or identification chip of some kind in the right hand or under the skin of the forehead of an individual. This identifying chip located in your person could also give the government the ability, with global positioning systems, to locate you anywhere on this globe. Criminals could run, but couldn't hide. A good idea, except the world's societies will all be controlled economically by the Antichrist. Unless you receive the number of the beast, which is 666, you will not be able to buy or sell. Adding to and subtracting from God's word is very dead, a very deadly deed, and many have taken it upon themselves to manhandle holy writ. This feature deals with the prophetic number 603 score and 6666, the mark of the beast during the last days. It will become obvious how adding to and taking away from God's word has directly affected this deadly number. The following excerpts are from the God Said, Man Said feature, 21 Signs of Doomsday, Update 28, Word Changing, and 666 are ready for prime time. Nothing should be more important than the believer's copy of the Word of God. For the English speaking, that copy is the authorized King James Version. The authorized King James Version was translated by the world's greatest scholars, supported by the vast, vast majority of the original Greek handwritten manuscripts, thus the term majority text, supported by the oldest manuscripts, supported by manuscripts discovered in Greece, Constantinople, Asia Minor, Syria, Alexandria, Africa, Gaul, southern Italy, Sicily, England, and Ireland, versus the new translations, which are derived from a reading found in one limited area. Translated from the Textus Receptus, which means received text, and the Textus Receptus has been the authority among the redeemed for nearly 2,000 years. But Satan is hell-bent on changing the words. Adding to or subtracting from the Bible is changing God's words, and when one understands that all things are created out of God's words, changing them is a very bad idea. What does a Satan's ploy of changing the words of God have to do with the mark of the beast? The majority text authorized King James Version reads in Revelation thirteen sixteen. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. Revelation thirteen sixteen reads in the NIV, It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads. On this subject, G.A. Ripplinger writes in the 1184-page book In All of Thy Word the following, This may be the most damaging twist of Scripture in these perilous days. The New King James Version, TNIV, NIV, NASB, ESV, HCSB, and generally all new versions allow their readers to take the mark of the beast simply by changing the letter I to O. Applied Digital Solutions has a varied chip ready to market. Their spokesman appeared on the 700 Club to assure Christian viewers that their, embed, that their embedded uh, chip did not fit the new version's description about the mark of the beast because their chip goes in the hand, inserted with a large needle device not stamped on the hand. 
The Associated Press, Washington, February 26, 2002, reports, Good or Evil? Applied Digital has consulted theologians and appeared on the religious television program The 700 Club to assure viewers that Chip didn't fit the biblical description of the mark because it is under the skin hidden from view, end of quote. Satan has changed the word. Technology and the chip just make good sense. This loadable, downloadable digital device can house all your vital information accurately. It can regulate all commercial transactions and house yours uh, and your family's medical history. You can't lose it. It will protect your identity and is easily scannable. 2,000 years ago, such an idea was unimaginable. But today, it is easily doable and soon to be in full play. Several paragraphs from Paul McGuire's book, The Day the Dollar Died, which was published in 2009, will follow. We are entering a cashless society where credit cards will soon become obsolete. Due to identity theft, which is one of the fastest growing crimes, the next logical step is a microchip implant with an RFID transmitter. Rare chip goes back to the events of September 11, 2001, when New York firemen were writing their badge ID numbers on their chest in case they were found injured or unconscious. Working with Applied Digital, Veridship was created to produce and market an implantable device known as Veridship. Since that time, many people around the world have been implanted, such as medical patients, children, the elderly, CEOs, soldiers, and celebrities. The Veridship products utilize an implantable passive RFID chip for automatic identification. The chip is about the size of a grain of rice, and the microchip inserts just under the skin and contains a 16-digit identifier. A note, Veritchip was purchased by Veritech Acquisition Corp. in 2012. I received an investment newsletter in January of 2014, and the headline promoting this investment opportunity read, One Device to End All Disease. The subhead reads, it's a tiny 14-millimeter chip that costs less than $50, and one company holds all the medical patents. A few excerpts from the newsletter follow. A revolutionary new medical device will soon be available at a medical clinic near you. It isn't a drug, and it's not a pill. It's the world's smallest medical device, and it could single-handedly end all disease. Cleared by the FDA, it's already in use in the Mayo Clinic, the world's cutting-edge medical organization. The end of illness is closer than you might think, says Dr. David Agus, a top cancer specialist at the University of Southern California. We expect it will become a clinical standard of care in cardiology within the next three to five years, says Dr. George Savage, chief medical officer at Protus Biomedical. Measuring just 14 millimeters, it's the world's smallest medical implant. It needs no batteries and can power itself forever. This tiny device could add 30 healthy years to your life. It could eradicate the dangers of all disease, including cancer and heart disease, and it costs less than 50 bucks, end of quote. Wow, what an idea. The mark of the beast will make good sense, end of quotes. Monday, September 19, 2016, the headline of the Wall Street Journal's Trends feature reads, When Information Storage Gets Under Your Skin. 
The subhead reads, tiny implants can replace keys, store business cards, and medical data, and eventually a lot more. Get ready for the chip. God proof number 291, Genesis 1, 26 through 27, and Job 38, verse 36. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And God created man in his own image, in the image of God created him, male and female created he them. Job speaks, Who hath put wisdom in the inward parts, or who hath given understanding to the heart? How does evolution's time, chance, and necessity create the human brain? The scriptures report that the human brain was made after God's likeness. If that grand claim is true, then proof should be everywhere, and it is. Our brains have been fashioned like God's. Neuroscience has concluded that we only use a small fraction of our brain power, once estimated at 10%, but now maybe far less. The brain has infinite built-in capabilities. Suppose, just suppose, that between your ears existed a pharmacy that big pharmaceuticals could only dream of duplicating. Suppose this pharmacy could produce needed medications for the body even before sickness became apparent, and suppose that all the medicine produced was exactly what your body needed, that it was properly administered, and that there were no negative side effects. Now, suppose the medications were free of charge. Sounds incredible, but it's true, and the medical world is trying to tap into this phenomenal power. Dr. Howard Brody, M.D., Ph.D., titled an article in a 2000 issue of Psychology Today, Mind Over Medicine. Part of the subhead reads, Diseases and disorders are hardly ever all in your head, but often the power to heal is. The power of words is immeasurable, and your godlike brain eats words. You're aware of the placebo effect in clinical measurements. For instance, a proposed medical remedy is measured by taking a group of people and distributing the correct medical product to part of the group and a harmless sugar pill or placebo to the other part. Results are then tabulated. According to the State University of New York Downstate Medical Center in Brooklyn, the placebo, the sugar pill, clocks in with a cure rate of 33%, which is sometimes higher than the proposed remedy that was administered. They also discovered that the benefits of the fake placebo spikes measurably upward if the doctor talks the benefits of the fake placebo up. Our godlike brain has the unearthly ability to harness positive, uplifting, silent, and spoken words and release the power of those words which creates the placebo effect. What medical science calls the placebo, the Word of God calls hope. The placebo is spawned in hope, or rather, it is hope itself. Hope is dramatically different than wishing. The basic definition of the biblical hope is looking forward to something you are certain will come to pass. The certainty in the equation is called faith. Hebrews 11.1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Example, the blessed hope, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus, speaks of a city 
that Christ is preparing for those who love him called the New Jerusalem, which comes down out of God's new heaven to his newly created earth. Our faith in God's word gives substance to this city of hope. Faith gives it its foundations, walls, gates, and dimensions. Romans fifteen thirteen. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. What science calls placebo, the Bible calls hope. Medical researchers are shocked at what they're finding. Discover Magazine's July-August 2014 publication in an eight-page spread addresses the subject of the placebo effect. The subhead of this feature reads, Once dismissed as a psychological curiosity, the placebo effect is now recognized as the key to the brain's inner pharmacy. If only doctors knew how to open the medicine cabinet, excerpts follow. The new evidence has established that placebos trigger the brain's inner pharmacy, in essence, a warehouse perpetually stocked to deliver active drugs to itself. In addition to improving Parkinson's symptoms, that same inner pharmacy can affect conditions like pain, depression, irritable bowel syndrome, anxiety, schizophrenia, and more. As the placebo effect emerges from a long history in the shadows, the new question is, how can we use this age-old brain trick to our advantage? When Wager analyzed subjects' brain activity, he found that the people who reported the greatest relief after receiving a placebo also showed the strongest reduction in activity in the ACC, the thalamus, and the insula, all evolutionary primitive brain structures that respond to physical pain. Today, placebos are widely recognized not as a psychological mirage, but as a potent inner pharmacy that we might someday even harness, end of quote. Releasing the power of the godlike brain between our ears is a biblical directive. We know this concept as putting on the mind of Christ, and it yields life-changing benefits, whether it is the opening of your pharmacy doors 24-7 and the healing of the flesh, or a myriad of other marvelous blessings. The human brain was created by God even in his likeness to flourish when faith and hope are lifted high. What science calls placebo, God's word calls hope. Today's science is knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Thousands of years before science begins to understand, God has already given direction. God proof number 292, Genesis 1, chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. How does something as foolish as evolution become the God of the academics? The answer is simple. It's the Adamic nature. Grandmother Eve believed the lie and Adam followed. Ever since, it's been like mother, like daughter, like father, like son. The only way to escape this dilemma is to be born again. Nuclear physicist Vernon Cups reports the following in his book, Rethinking Radiometric Dating. A modern example of the misapplication of the scientific method is supplied by noted uh, theoretical physicist Dr. Lawrence Krauss, who ironically is the director of the Origins Project at Arizona State University. He and many others claim as a scientific fact that the universe originated from a quantum fluctuation in nothingness 
a quantum fluctuation being defined as the temporary appearance of energetic particles out of empty space. Yet no one has ever observed such a fluctuation. How can the possible existence of such a large quantum fluctuation be verified or falsified? It is acceptable to put such ideas forward as philosophical speculation, but certainly not a scientific fact. To do so is hijacking the scientific method. Another example of misapplication is supplied by the well-known Darwinian theory of evolution, which is more properly categorized as a hypothesis. This hypothesis is closely tied to the idea of spontaneous generation, which Louis Pasteur disproved. Evolution hypothesizes that life on Earth sprang from inanimate matter some 3.5 billion years ago and has subsequently evolved through a series of genetic mutations and natural selections into the diversity we currently observe. End of quote. Science says no to spontaneous generation, absolutely no. God proof number 293, Genesis chapter 7, 1 through 4, 11 and 12, and 18 through 23. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. Of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, the seventeenth day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. And the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man." All in whose nostrils was the breath of life of all that was in the dry land died, and every living substance was destroyed which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping things and the fowl of the heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. America's Grand Canyon is one of the geological wonders of the world and is often lifted high as a testimony to the Earth's great age. However, the facts say Noah and a global flood that occurred just under 4,400 years ago. In the book Grand Canyon, A Different View, excerpts from 28 men of renown in the fields of science and literature weigh in on the evidence found in the canyon. Three of the writers are highlighted. Geologist Dr. John Morris points out a huge problem for evolutionary theorists, the lack of erosion between the rock layers, which is on display for all to see in the Grand Canyon, he writes. The existence of the sharp knife-edge contact between those two beds, Hermit Shale and the overlying Coconino sandstone, argues against the passage of long periods of time between their depositions. 
If it weren't for the assumption of evolution, these two beds would speak either of continuous rapid deposition or of rapid deposition of the Coconino after an episode of sheet erosion. In both cases, we're talking about a flood on the scale of the Genesis flood. The rocks simply do not support vast ages passing between the deposition of adjacent layers. Geophysicist and space physicist Dr. John Baumgartner writes, This sort of dramatic global-scale catastrophism documented in these layers implies a distinctly different interpretation of the associated fossil record. Instead of representing an evolutionary sequence, the record reveals a successive destruction of ecological habitats in a global tectonic and hydrologic catastrophe. This understanding readily explains why Darwinism intermediate types are systematically absent from the geological record. The fossil record documents a brief and intense global destruction of life and not a long evolutionary history. The types of plants and animals preserved as fossils were the forms of life that existed on the earth prior to the catastrophe. The long span of time and the intermediate forms of life that the evolutionist imagines in his mind are simply illusions. And the strong observational evidence for the, cat for the catastrophe absolutely demands a radically revised timescale relative to that assumed by evolutionists. Geologist Dr. Stephen Austin gives testimony to the fossilized sea creatures found in the canyon. Billions of large fossilized orthocone cone-shaped nautiloids are entombed in a six-foot-thick layer near the base of the massive red wall limestone formation. This extraordinary layer persists throughout the Grand Canyon region, uh, northern Arizona and southern Nevada. The fossil bed occupies an area of at least 5,700 square miles and contains an average of one fossilized nautiloid per square mile. The nautiloids are ancient cephalopods, relatives of the modern-day squid and octopus. Nautiloids were large creatures with an average cell length of over 18 inches, with some approaching 5 feet in length. Nautiloid fossils are observed almost everywhere in the Grand Canyon, where good layering surfaces are exposed in their relatively thin bed within the red wall limestone. The existence of the nautiloid fossils in such enormous quantities in such a relatively thin layer that spreads throughout the canyon area is further evidence that the layers of the Grand Canyon are, in fact, flood deposits, deposits from a flood of truly catastrophic proportions. Such a flood is described in the Bible, the flood of Noah's day. The evidence confirms the inerrancy of God's word, Noah's flood and all. God proof number 294, Numbers chapter 19, verse 9. And a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and lay them up without the camp on a clean, in a clean place, and it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for a water of separation. It is a purification for sin. The end of the world as we know it is not far from here. The battle of Armageddon, which will see its beginning and its end at Jerusalem, is just over the horizon. In 1948, Israel was restored as a nation, as prophesied in the Bible, 
after being absent from the global geography for over 2,000 years. Today, the Middle East is a tinderbox ready to ignite into a full-blown global and earth-ending war prophesied in the Scriptures multiple times. Besides Israel's restoration, a second event is prophesied as a global harbinger of disaster, an event that will surely trigger Armageddon, the building of the third Jewish temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. The God Said, Man Said series 21 Signs of Doomsday covers additional signs and signals to watch for more thoroughly, but the focus of this God proof is the red heifer. In order for the Jewish Levite priest and the Jewish people to once again function in the final Jewish temple, they must be purified according to Mosaic law, and a red heifer plays a very pivotal role. Numbers 19, 5 through 13. And one shall burn the heifer in his sight, her skin and her flesh and her blood with her dung shall he burn. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet, and cast it into the midst of the burning of the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes, and he shall bathe his flesh in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp, and the priest shall be unclean until even. And he that burneth her shall wash his clothes in water, and bathe his flesh in water, and he shall be unclean until the even. And a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer, and lay them up without the camp in a clean place, And it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for a water of separation. It is a purification for sin. And he that gathereth the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the even. And it shall be unto the children of Israel and unto the stranger that sojourneth among them for a statute forever. He that toucheth the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself with it on the third day, and on the seventh day he shall be clean. But if he purify not himself the third day, then the seventh day he shall not be clean. Whosoever toucheth the dead body of any man that is dead, and purifieth not himself, defileth the tabernacle of the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from Israel. Because the water of separation was not sprinkled upon him, he shall be unclean. His uncleanness is yet upon him." And then in Hebrews nine thirteen and 14, For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? In 1997, the Middle East and the religious world were shaken by the message of the birth of a red heifer. It was major news the world over. A red heifer, uh, qualified to cleanse the unclean, had not been seen in Israel for nearly 2,000 years. The story of this heifer, known today as Melody, was reported in Newsweek under the title, The Strange Case of Israel's Red Heifer. It follows in part. But to observant Jews, there is nothing ordinary about her. A couple of millenniums ago, in the area of the first and second Jewish kingdoms, The ashes of a red heifer butchered in her third year were mixed with water and used to purify Jews before they could approach the holy temple on Jerusalem's Temple Mount. Not since the destruction of the second temple by the Romans in A.D. 70, however, has a red heifer been born in Israel, Judaic scholars say. Some Israelis have greeted Melody's arrival as a wondrous portent 
for the new millennium. Others view her as an ominous threat to Middle East peace. The furor springs from the fact that some devout Jews see Melody's birth as a sign from God that the coming of the Messiah is nigh. Many Muslims and some less observant Jews are concerned that extremists might take the red heifer as a signal to destroy the Dome of the Rock and Al-Aqsa mosques, which now occupy Jerusalem's Temple Mount. That would clear the way for the construction of a third Jewish temple and possibly provoke a war. The potential harm from this heifer is far greater than the destructive properties of a regular terrorist bomb, wrote journalist David Landau in the influential Israeli newspaper Haharatz. Landau has suggested the heifer's rapid, unceremonious dispatch. He may be overreacting, but there is precedent. In the early 80s, a handful of Jewish militants were arrested and convicted of plotting to blow up the two mosques, and sentiment still rung strong. Gershon Solomon founded the Temple Mount Faithful Movement 30 years ago uh, to press for the hill's liberation from what he calls Muslim imperialist occupation. Mamanides, an ancient Jewish sage, noted that from Moses to the destruction of the Second Temple, only nine red heifers had been sacrificed. According to Mamanides, the tenth red heifer will be prepared by the Messiah. It is said amongst the Jews that the red heifer is the deepest secret of the Bible, one that King Solomon, the world's wisest man, could not fathom. The answer, of course, is revealed in Christ Jesus. An organization known as Canaan Land Restoration of Israel, Inc., has its ministry, the shipping of red heifers to Israel to be raised and bred on their own land, end of quote. The following excerpt is from Thomas Horn's book, The Rabbis, Donald Trump, and the Top Secret Plan to Build the Third Temple. Horn writes, Did you know that in September of 2018, a newborn red heifer was certified by a board of rabbis as fulfilling all the biblical requirements for temple service, a prerequisite for the biblically mandated process of ritual purification for impurity that results from proximity or contact with a dead body. Because the elements needed for this ceremony have been lacking since the destruction of the second temple, all Jews today are considered ritually impure thereby preventing the return of the temple service. That is, until now. End of quote. A third Jewish temple is just over the horizon, braced for war, and even the end of this world as we know it. God's word is true and righteous altogether, every jot and every tittle, and a place to build a life that will last forever. God said, Revelation thirteen sixteen through 18, And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, saving he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, threescore, and six. God said, Numbers 19, verse 9, And a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and lay them up without the camp in a clean place. And it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for a water of separation. It is a purification for sin. Man said, 
I think the story of Noah and his boat is just that, a story, a myth. The Bible is full of such things. Now you have the record.